So welcome everybody to Theology on TAP. Um, for those of you I don't know, my name is Mike. I am a priest at Holy Communion in University City. In the pre-pandemic times, uh, we held Theology on TAP in a local pub and we got together once a month and we uh, talked about uh, theology and we talked about life and we talked about faith and we talked about spirituality. <laughs> theology on TAP is a chance for folks who uh, have friends that are not so churchy to invite uh, folks into conversation about life uh, and about faith. And we tend to do it outside the church walls because it's a little more comfortable sometimes to invite your friends to a pub than it is to invite them to church on a Sunday. Uh, so we hope to get back to that model at some point, but that's a little bit of today's theme is what are we going back to? What are we going forward to? And uh, and what is the life of the church going to look like? And I'm really glad uh, that Bishop Dion could join us again. Uh, Bishop Dion was, I think you were our first pandemic theology on tap. Uh, <laughs> you were the first victim of uh, life in the pandemic. On, you know, I, at Zoom. I, I've been a first of a lot of things in pandemics. <laughs> yeah. So, seems to be a trend. <laughs> yeah, we had this... We had been a little bit on a sojourn. We had been at Dressels in the Central West End for a number of years. And then we had to go on a sojourn to find a new place to have theology on tap. And we just had two theologies on tap at the Schlafly Bottle Works in Maplewood. And it was wonderful. We were really excited to host you there. And then we were dealing with county health department things. We decided, well, we better do this on Zoom. And all these months later, I'm really glad to have you back. Um, I've been saying to folks, it feels like we, we haven't turned a corner with the pandemic. Um, absolutely, we're in the midst of a lot of difficulty still, but it feels like, you know, just today, England approved the first vaccine that's been approved in Europe or the United States. And it feels like we can see the corner that we will someday go around. Yeah. Um, and so it seems like a good time to check back in with you. It also, you have had the strangest start to an episcopate probably in the history <laughs> of, um, of bishops. <laughs> and so it seems like a really good time to talk about, um, you know, we talked about what the church was going to look like, and you had like a few weeks in the office at that point. But I thought we would start by talking about um, change. And if you could give us the framework, you did a, a piece with the clergy earlier today that I think is just a really lovely framework for reflecting on where we are. Um, but could you talk about, you know, we the, the title of this is The Church Has Changed the church is changing. So you could talk a little bit mm -hmm. about where you think we are as church right now. Well, um, I'll share something that I shared with the clergy earlier today. Um, I was reading an article that said, the church is dead, long live the church. Um, and what it meant was that the church pre-March 2020 is dead. It's just gone. And we, we get to spend some time lamenting what that church used to be. And the things that we have lost in that pre-pandemic church, um, as we begin to dream and spend some time fermenting into what the church is becoming. Um, because there, there's some things that we know we're not going to be able to go back to. We're not, I mean, live streaming, Zoom, these things aren't just going to magically disappear once everybody's gotten a shot and, you know, there, there's, there's no more needs for masks and all that stuff. Um, there are some parts of our church that have been fundamentally changed by this pandemic, um, and we get to carry that forward. Um, the online church is a real thing. I think we're going to continue to need to not <laughs> the ones that are really going to thrive in the new next normal are the ones who are going to embrace or continue to embrace this technology. Um, I'll tell you a really quick story. A couple of weeks ago, I went up to um, one of our parishes to do confirmation. And I was just confirming roughly four people. And three of the four people that I confirmed, that was the first time they had ever been in the building. 
they found the Episcopal Church online, worshiped with the community of that congregation online, did their confirmation classes and becoming Episcopalian prep online. And the very first time that they walked into the building was for confirmation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. We have a number of people that I'm waiting. We've got to schedule a time when you can come confirm for Holy Communion, but um, we are getting ready for our first class. And I've got 15 people that are in a similar boat that they've never been in the building. I'm thinking about doing a whole like walk through the church with my iPhone and be like, this is what (laughs) you know. You'll see this space one day. (laughs) You'll see this space one day. This is what it looks like in the pews. I think that's going to be a turn the camera around. It's going to be a big moment. Um, As as you think about that, though, um, there's a little bit, I I was, you and I've talked a little bit about this, this conversation that happened uh, between Dean Kelly Brown Douglas of uh, the Episcopal Divinity School at Union um, Seminary Mm -hmm. up in New York and the presiding bishop about the Black church and the Episcopal church. And I it was the most direct I had heard either of them talk about some of the legacy of the Episcopal Church uh, and the re- and the current reality of the Episcopal Church uh, in terms of our legacy of slaveholding um, and yeah. our legacy of white supremacy and our current reality as a um, very I mean like we are, we do not match the um, diversity of our you know like country, mm-hmm. but. I wonder about, there's there's a little bit in here about, do we have an opportunity to both leave some things behind and embrace some things? Um, yep. Does Do you think pandemic gives us opportunities we wouldn't have had otherwise? Oh, definitely. I, I, I think the pandemic has hastened some of the things that was happening in the church and accelerated others. Um, I mean, we knew in, in deep down inside of our hearts, we knew that there were parts of our church that needed to be changed and to be changed fundamentally for us to move forward. Um, if you remember, um, gosh, maybe five years ago, the New York Times had an article that said the Episcopal Church has 30 more Easter's. Um, mm. And it, it was saying that at the current rate that we were going, we would be no longer in existence. Um, as a church in 30 years. Um, and what I think the pandemic has done has forced us to get out of the 18th century <laughs> into the 21st century in many ways. Um, I mean, because th- think about what has happened in the last nine months of this pandemic. Now, a-, a year ago, if I, during the walkabouts, had said, oh, you know, every Episcopal church was going to be on- online and people would be using Zoom to connect, um, and we'd be recording and, you know, streaming stuff and all the clergy would suddenly become evangel- televangelists. You probably would have chased me out of the room and said, how did this idiot get on to our slate? <laughs> but look what's happened. What we've done is we've realized that we have the, the threshold for entering a community of faith now is so low. What we've done, you know, to, to walk into a church for the very first time is scary. Um, especially if you have no church background, if you have no, you have no idea what to expect. Um, and what we've done now, because most of everything we're doing is online, we have lowered the bar so low that the threshold to come in and be a part of the, the, the community of faith, mm-hmm. the congregation, is so low that folks can, can, can lurk, <laughs> can see what we're all about, can find out about who we are, and I wouldn't be surprised if by the time we are done with this pandemic, that there's not a whole lot of new interest in what is this Episcopal church? Um, and h- how do I continue to be a part of this community, either online or in person or a hybrid of the two? Um, I think hybrid is going to become a really big word going forward that we're going to have to live in a hybrid, virtual, in-person world. Yeah. Um, so we... I. And, and there are things that we have to carry forward um, and there are things that we get to throw out and leave behind. Um, were it not for this time of pandemic, I'm not sure if the Episcopal Church would have had a serious, heartfelt conversation around race. Mm. Our history shows that whenever we've had or tried to have a conversation, especially around um, the racial history of the Episcopal Church, we get sidetracked by having a task force that looks into it, who writes a paper, 
Um, we read the paper, we say really good job, well done, and we just keep doing the things that we've always kept doing. Um, I think this pandemic has um, opened up some possibilities um, and opened up some old wounds that we can name those places where the church has been complicit. Um, you know, I was at convention in 2013 when the first screening of Traces of the Trade came out. Mm. And for those of you who may not know what Traces of the Trade is, um, Traces of the Trade is one of the descendants of the DeWolf family in New England, which is one of the richest family in New England or the richest family in New England. Um, they, were, they owned the most slaves in the United States. Not in the South, but in the North. And so when she tried to start telling that story, you know, the other parts of the DeWolf family did their best to try to stop it. Um, and people couldn't hear the story that, you know, the, the fact that to understand that an Episcopalian in the North was one of the most prolific slaveholders in the country was unheard of. Um, and we, we, we didn't hear too much about that film. And now, <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all wanting to go back and see that. We're all wanting to engage with what, what is the history and the legacy of the Episcopal Church when it comes to race and racial reconciliation? Um, and I don't think that would have been possible if we weren't in this time of pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's some ancillary, I mean, it's, it's difficult. I, when you talk about pandemic, I think we, it's, you have to be cautious about silver linings, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because there's a reality. I mean, like, even as we talk, I know that we have a number of folks in our congregation who have parents in the hospital with COVID and it's yeah. not looking good. We have, um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult time and the substantial shift to our reality is, I mean, it's substantial enough that it's it slowed some things down and mm -hmm. sped some things up. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it hadn't, you know, slowed some things down enough for us to really say like, we need to take a look at this. Yeah. Um, we need to, I mean, like if, if so much is up for grabs, if, I mean, the very existence of a lot of our churches mm -hmm. um, in some ways, like there's a reality, somebody said to me, um, what the pandemic has done is accelerated things by five years. Yeah. And I, the number is debatable, but um, you know, churches that were on the edge of, uh, was it you, somebody said, um, a, a church, a number of our churches in this diocese are one blown boiler away from closing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't me, but that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, and 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 this isn't a boiler, but um, but it like the reality is the um, giving trends and all sorts of and attendance trends and things. It, this is going to accelerate some of that, mm -hmm. and and I think um, you're right in terms of for other places it's going to accelerate this hybrid reality that may be a little bit more sustainable for some folks mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we've found is our godly play attendance has like doubled uh yeah. since godly play has been on zoom on saturday morning instead of people having to get their kids up and dressed and to church in time for godly play uh they don't have to i mean they can be in their pjs in their living room for godly play and the godly play attendance has doubled in the zoom re in the zoom world and I think that there's some of that, that there's some reality to, you know, like it is a lot easier to just sign in from your living room for yeah. some formation stuff for some of that. Well, the, the image that I've been using is that we are going to be running from the maternity ward and the hospice ward. Hmm. That that's the reality of, of going forward. You know, we're going to be mourning those who have died or those who are dying. And we're going to be over there birthing some new things that are going to come out of this. Because yeah. um, I'm curious as to what what new online communities are going to form. Yeah. I mean, I've been asking the question: What does an all online worshiping community look like? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that that's that's what we're the church in this time, particularly its leadership, is going to be called to be both in the maternity ward and in the hospice ward, um, knowing that there's death and resurrection. And the good thing about all of this is, you know, we, we follow a guy who is in the business of resurrection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think though that there are, there's some substantial questions ahead about 
you know, there are different ways of engaging online. I was having a conversation with a Methodist colleague just yesterday about both of us have done some investment in uh, streaming technology and in cameras and, in, you know, to really kind of up the production value. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it has partly to do with, you know, how do we think about um, online services? I hear a lot of people talk about Zoom church and at Holy Communion, we've really only used Zoom for the most part for fellowship. We yeah. do worship as we try to make that as accessible as possible. And so I wonder too, you know, like I do get worried about, um, I, while the way that, you know, if you're broadcasting out to Facebook and YouTube and things, that is more accessible than we've ever been. A number of churches, you know, if you put a Zoom link up, I think it's almost harder to sign into a Zoom with a group of people you've never known before mm -hmm. uh, and say like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to do that on a Sunday morning. That That's a higher bar um, yeah. than even walking across the transom of a church. Well, I think some of it is a, a little bit of all of the above, depending on the context. I mean, location, 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 you know, context, yeah. context, context, depending on the context of the congregation. I mean, because we've seen... Um, during this pandemic, you know, what we were doing nine months ago looks very different than what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, and what we saw at the early ages, early time of the pandemic was like, let's just get online. Let's just get our people connected and eyeballs on the screen. Um, and early on, it was, let's do what we did on Sunday morning, except that we're, we're streaming it yeah. or we're, we're, you know, camera watch and see what we normally do. And for a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months that worked, and then folks began to see that some of those eyeballs began to dip because, you know, seeing the same thing that you've done in church without the connection, without the touching and hugging and peace and all that stuff isn't the same thing. And so some congregations have made the shift towards let's make it experiential from a distance. Um, and how, how do we do that effectively? Because simply recording what we've always done in church um, or sticking it up as it has been doesn't work anymore or it's not beginning to work as much. There are some places that that is still a, a thing and folks are okay with that. Um, I worry about, well, what does that mean for that community going forward? Mm. If you're, if you're, is your Zoom worship an invitation to the world or to your neighborhoods or your neighbors to come join you? Or is your Zoom worship an invitation for the people who are already there to stay there? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it really is, what, what is the purpose of being online? And I don't think that that's a question that too many communities of faith are asking themselves. What is the purpose of us being online? Or why, why are we streaming? Is it to stay connected to the people that are already a part of the faith community? Or is it a way to evangelize and to show others that we are a welcoming, inclusive, and inviting um, community of faith? I think that's a really, I mean, you and I have had this conversation about the experiment that's going on in the Diocese of Atlanta uh, mm -hmm. called Imagine Church, but that I talked to the priest who's working with Bishop Rob, Zach Nyan is the priest at All Saints who's working with um, Bishop Rob on that project. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what he raised. He said, you know, like we've got a lot of places that are trying to keep what they had kind of on life support through the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and what we're trying to do with this project is really create space for and put the first audience as uh, people who, you know, haven't or wouldn't come to an Episcopal church on a usual Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, I mean, that it, it, it kind of reflects how we see the church. I mean, if, if you see, I mean, I, I like, I love Archbishop um, Temple where he said, you know, ch the church is intended for the people who are not here. Yeah. The, the challenge for us more often than not, or for some of our communities is that, we made church for the people who are here yeah and we, we stopped looking out to say who's not here and how do we invite them in yeah um and i think the same is true even in this virtual world you know we, we, we worship can be for the people who are already connected and already part of the community or it can be used as a tool to evangelize and invite others into that community yeah so the other side of that is the the i think you know you and i you more than me, but we, we lead institutions, we lead groups of people. Um, and, but I, I think for a lot of folks, this time has been a time of reflecting on, you know, what am I missing? 
what does church mean for me? What does my life of faith mean for me? When, you know, the default of showing up on Sunday morning isn't a possibility. How do I, and, and I think that's been true in a lot of, you know, we talk about like life work balance uh, and uh, people have been all over the map with that um, in terms of if you're working from home, when are you not working questions? Yeah. Um, if you're praying for home, I wish it was, you know, when you're not praying. <laughs> I think Paul might be happy with that one. But um, would that all of God's yeah, people were that, praying. That we're always, <laughs> but, um, but I wonder about that. Are there, and that's, that's, that's maybe a good point for us to hit pause and send things out to the breakout room. So I'm going to put the questions in the chat. I will also give you a link out to the, um, uh, to the wider, uh, it's, it's up at pubtheologystl.org. The most recent um, post is the questions. Um, but there are three questions that we're going to invite you all to talk about in your breakout rooms. So um, the first is a step in imagining the future is lament. Uh, we have to name what we are missing, what we've lost, what moments of lament have you felt? What are you missing? And the second question is the phrase, a new normal has been bandied about. You had a great turn on that and I didn't get it down. A new something normal. A um, new next normal. A new <laughs> next normal. It sounds like a Church of England project. Um, <laughs> but a new normal has been bandied about a great deal. What learnings, ways of being, ideas do you hope to bring into the new normal, the new next normal in your personal and professional life? And then there's no question, there's much the church needs to leave behind, but what do we hope will be part of the new normal for the church or for your life of faith? If you wanna personalize that question, you're invited to. So I am going to um, assign you all to breakout rooms uh, and uh, we're gonna give you 10 minutes to you know, solve all the problems of the world um, and then we will come back uh, to the big group. So let's see, I'm gonna add a room actually. Uh, sorry, it didn't add enough rooms. This is where we hum the Jeopardy theme. This is where we hum the Jeopardy theme. I, all of us are learning. One of the, I mean, I, I do hope that uh, breakout rooms are, you know, like how that works becomes a more easy thing. All right, so um, we are ready. You should get whisked away in the magic of Zoom as Bishop Dion likes to say. Um, and we'll be back here in 10 minutes. And the questions are in the chat and up at pubtheologystl.org. Hey, and we're back in the big group. So um, I said at the beginning, if you've got a question uh, you wanna ask uh, of the bishop or of the group, I'd invite you to ask in the chat or if you wanna um, come on the screen, I'd invite you to uh, use the raise hand function. Uh, but while we're um, holding on that, I'd love to um, 
yeah, just kind of said, I know our group talked a lot about both stuff that we're missing and stuff that we're looking forward to. Uh, I wonder if I can start out, uh, Bishop, I know there's been, I mean, I was kind of amazed, you said in, in your remarks, and I thought it was just spot on. For me, the moment wasn't as much an online moment. I, I said it, we're doing these parking lot services. And if you had told me at the time of your election that within a year of having a new bishop, I'd be preaching in a parking lot, like a, <laughs> I would have, I would, yeah, that I would have handed in my collar probably. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I wonder, um, are there, and, and, and at the same time, we have had people that have gotten to know us that just happen to be driving through that elementary school parking lot because their kids mm -hmm. would play basketball or that, you know, the, and, and I've had really interesting conversations. I wonder, are there other touch points of you? I mean, you talked about a congregation where people had found them online, but have you heard other stories of other touch points that we've had besides worship in this time? Yes. Um, there's some there's some wonderful stories of folks who have been um, like, um, gosh, Christchurch, Cape Girardeau. Um, they do an online Bible study. Um, and they get they are getting more people attending that online Bible study than I think attended church previously. <laughs> that there, there, there's this level of engagement of people who want to know more about the Bible. You know, if, if there's a book that came out a couple of years ago, all you want to know about the Bible, but we're afraid to ask. <laughs> um, so now people are, are wanting to know, people are wanting to engage. And they've, again, they've lowered the bar so low that it's like, it's on Facebook. Mm -hmm. You know, you can lurk if you want to. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can join in and engage if you want to. I mean, they do Zoom and Facebook, I think, um, parallel upload or something like that. Yeah. But anybody can come and be a part of the Bible study and there's no pressure. Mm. So, I mean, there, there's wonderful stories across the diocese of folks who are being really innovative, innovative on and how we do what we do um, with an eye towards hospitality. And I think that's the key that whatever it is we're doing, we do it toward, with an eye towards the other, you know, asking that question, who's not here? Well, what does it, what do we need to allow them to be here? Um, and I, as I said earlier, the medium that we are in right now allows for such a low threshold. I mean, if you have to bury the link to figure out where to get your church on your church's website, there's a problem. <laughs> you know, hopefully if you're worshiping via Zoom, I should be as a ye old person in my living room wanting to attend worship, I should be able to quickly find you and get online, get connected to you. Um, if I have to go digging for an email that you have sent just to the folks who are on your mailing list, um, and that's the only way to access, there's a little bit of a problem there. It, it, it's not saying that hospitality is your highest goal. Yeah. I, one of the things I, you know, Whitney uh, Rice, Canon Whitney, who's, um, I think I was really excited to see you bring her into the office as a canon for evangelism. I know that that word, I, we're inviting Whitney out to talk at Holy Communion about that word uh, because awesome. it's a terrifying word to a bunch of people. But, um, <laughs> but one of the things that she talked about in her convention conversation was relational evangelism. Uh, and I've been thinking about that a lot online from the number of people that have encountered us because somebody reposted something that we did on Facebook or because they had some kind of relationship here. You know, yeah. we've even heard from people that like moved away to Tennessee a decade ago and through the pandemic have worshiped with us as much as they've worshiped with their home church because they find our church easier to access than um, what yeah. their church is doing down in Tennessee. Uh, we've heard from folks who, you know, whose parents went here and they've decided to come hang with us. But I wonder about that in terms of like, how are we working our network of loose relationships? Um, in the midst of pandemic and how does that, how does what we're in the midst of right now give us opportunity to build up looser relationships? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is, A, we're all built for relationship and connection to, with one another. Um, because we are connected to a community of faith, you know, we have those connections. So, you know, like I, I work with Janice. 
I know a little bit more about her and her family and she knows a little bit more about me and my family and stuff like that. Um, so that's one set of connections. But at the same time, you know, building those connections of people who don't have that connection, that don't have that relationship. I mean, here's the reality. We're all going through this pandemic together. We're doing it as Episcopalians. So I know Episcopalians know me and I know Episcopalians. And so we have connections already built in. If you've had no faith connection at all, you're going through this pandemic the same way everybody else is, except that you don't have those relationships with people who are going to call you up and ask you how you're doing, or I haven't seen you on Zoom church and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have a never waste a good crisis. <laughs> we have a great opportunity for those folks who want the connection, who want the relationship to actually begin to form that relationship. Um, those, those, those folks that I went to confirm, the way that that congregation engaged them was through the comments on, fa- on the Facebook live feed. They made a comment just saying, hi, they, the folks didn't know who they were, so they made a point of engaging with them and saying, you know, we're so glad that you're joining us for worship if you'd like to know any more. And then they, they followed it up by sending a, a, a private direct message to the person mm-hmm. saying, again, we were so glad that you worship with us. If you have any questions about the Episcopal Church, feel free to respond and connect with me. And just something as simple as that, um, because people are looking for some kind of connection in the midst of this pandemic. Um, they're looking for some kind of anchor. Um, and I, I, I keep saying, I mean, I, I, the opening line for my convention address was, this is a good time to be the church. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it seems odd in the middle of a pandemic to say that, <laughs> but to me, it really is. This is a good time for us to be the church because we, I think, are uniquely positioned to actually respond and um, answer people's yearnings during this time. Mm. So Dan Link is lurking a little bit um, with his video <laughs> off, um, I'm just making fun of him, but uh, he talked about Compline being a great way mm-hmm. to connect with folks across St. Louis and the country. And I think, uh, Dan, I'll invite you to unmute, but um, I think he's talking about at the cathedral, um, the Compline that they have been doing. Yeah, I am. There, hey, there you are. Talk a little about oh. Compline. And Debbie's there too. Talk about lurking. <laughs> <laughs> so See, you proved my point. <laughs> talk a little bit about what you mean by um, how has Compline been a good way to connect with folks across St. Louis and the country? So, so specifically at the cathedral, um, Kathy has been doing Compline every evening. And she, she has her folks that, you know, she came to us from. And so as friends of hers, they, they tune in. And so we've had this large connected audience of folks that all kind of get together in the evening and we're all praying for the same things. And, you know, people are responding in the chats and that would not have happened before, before the pandemic. And please, Mike, remember that I do still have dual citizenship. I do not. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, no, we, we no, like. Does that require a passport? <laughs> no, Holy Communion, we say come as you are. So I think we're okay there. We're okay there. But um, no, I, I, I have been thinking a lot about, um, you know, we invite people to pray mostly here on Sunday morning uh, in terms of live stuff from Holy Communion. But I've been wanting to convene a conversation with folks who convene people for prayer online. Um, I really think that there's an opportunity here that we're just at the beginning of. Um, But I wonder, Bishop, what you would say about like, you know, we've had experiments on Sunday morning. One of the things we have found at Holy Communion is we stopped uh, especially doing versions of the prayers of the people where there's a different response to every prayer. Um, where people had to really closely follow a bulletin because uh, we, I've discovered it's not two possible. Things. Yeah. <laughs> you can't like, do you it. Can't, you can't follow <laughs> bulletin unless you're just watching the bulletin instead of, you know, this, the video for worship. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is I had a Sunday where I wasn't leading. And so I was home and I was watching with my family and nobody was talking back to the computer. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we've stopped having quite as much talking back to the computer so prayers of the people now has somebody, and then it's a little bit of music. 
and it gives people a little bit of space to kind of be prayerful. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I've found is we've, we've led some contemplative prayer and it's a pretty awkward thing to sit on Zoom and be in silence with each other. I mean, it's easy because you can hit the mute button, but, <laughs> but it's still a weird thing. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like, there's gotta be some opportunities for what does it mean to pray together online um, that could be, have you, have you been thinking yeah. about that at all? I've Has thought you- a little bit about it because here, here's the interesting thing um, with, with some of the Zoom stuff. What I find is when like folks don't talk back, you know, you say the Lord be with you and folks are going like, I'm not going to say the Lord be with you back to him. I'm, I'm at home. He's all the way over there. <laughs> um, but when you get to the Lord's prayer, mm-hmm. people will say it. Regardless of where they are, people will stop and say the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's, it's saying that there, there, there are some of the familiar pieces um, we need to carry on and keep. And some of the, uh, the other places where it's a bit more complicated, um, we might need to jettison some of that from what we do. Um, I mean, the thing is, as, as human beings, um, as followers of Jesus, we are made for sacred touch. I mean, that's the reality. We are incarnational. We are made for touching things, for handling things. Um, when you walk into a church on a Sunday morning uh, outside of a pandemic, you know, you're, all your senses are engaged. You know, you're handed a bulletin, you're touching something, you're shaking people's hands, you're smelling the church. If there's incense, you're smelling the incense, you're hearing the music, you know, you're, you're tasting the bread, you're tasting the wine, all your senses are engaged. When you're sitting at home, your visual senses are fully engaged. That's about it. Um, and so how do, we, how, do we, how do we allow people to create that incarnational peace at home? Um, and, and prayer is incarnational. You know, we think of prayer of just saying things. It, it really isn't. Prayer is about our whole body responding to whatever it is. You know, when we say, Lord, hear our prayer, we're not just saying that. Our whole body is responding to it. We're responding to our surroundings, responding to um, where we are in our life, in the day, all of that stuff matters. So our whole incarnate, incarnated self responds in prayer. So it means that when we, when we do that online, we have to figure some other way of doing it. Um, whether we invite people to say, hey, before worship, I need, you, I need you to stop by the dollar store and pick up a bunch of candles and some tea lights and, you know, for every person that you want to pray or that you want to pray for, I invite you to light a candle during these prayers or something like that, that people are able to be doing <laughs> in the midst of the praying. That we would, lose some of that. that so we, uh, yeah, we, we weren't quite just pointing a camera at what we did on Sunday morning um, at the <laughs> beginning of the pandemic, but it was when you released the liturgy that you did, that was sort of an anti-communion, the, the part of the service at the beginning of communion, plus some, uh, Dion, um, Dion special liturgy stuff. This should be on special liturgy stuff. But the thing that folks responded to more than anything else was that invitation to light a candle with us while we light the candles in the church. Exactly. Uh, I heard so much from people like, oh, that was, it just meant so much to be able to do something that connected me. Mm-hmm. That to me was really interesting. Um, yep. I think it's, it's the incarnational thing. Yeah. Our, our godly play kids. And I, I, I wonder about, we did a little bit of this around Holy Week, but I wonder about, you know, how much more do we need to do around this? But our godly play stuff, one of the things that works really well, we have an amazing children's formation person who mails out um, mm-hmm. every month a little packet of stuff. And so it's a reminder that they've got godly play on Saturday morning, but it's also like they open their little envelope of stuff for that Saturday and there they are engaging together with the same drawing or the same activity. Yeah. And I wonder how much, without making it too, you know, kitty, but I wonder how much we can think about that in terms of how do we engage with each other when we're not able to be physically present together. See, I, I wonder what would happen if you did, uh, somebody, someone beat me to it. What happens if you did godly play for adults, church yeah. in the box? I mean, in, in a sense, that's what that ad, the liturgy that came out was pretty much godly play in a box. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's easier to say, that, I mean, it, it's easy to say, well, go pick up some candles, a bowl, some water. Now, if you put it together and deliver it to folks home and say, okay, on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, 
we are going to light the candles together. We are, I mean, from the inspiration for that for me came from the Jewish Shabbat. Yeah. Because every Jew at six o'clock on a Saturday night, light the candles and say the prayers regardless of where they are in the world. Yeah. Now, I mean, as, if, as, as uh, Episcopalians, we can do, I mean, there are some things that we can do. Lighting candles is a, a big and easy one. Being reminded of our own baptism, a bowl and some water. But the thing is, you don't, like we don't just go grab a bowl and some water at church. You invite folks to have a special set of things um, and a special area set aside. Um, I think one of the folks um, that had, had talked about, you know, being feeling distracted um, in the midst of church. I mean, my suggestion around that would be set aside a specific space for worship. Um, there's a table down here in my office for when my son is doing um, Sunday school with dad, which is always interesting, um, that it, it's, a, it's a special table. So that's, that table is only used for that. And so it has, it has candles on it. It has a small bowl of water. Um, it has a children's Bible on it. And so he knows that when we're there, we're focusing on just that. Um, the same could be true for adults at home, you know, a, a simple, an, a, an icon, an image, um, a bowl of water to remind you of your baptism, some candles, um, other stuff, you know, a rock that can go in there for the season. We, we're in Advent, you know, lighting those Advent candles is a big deal. <laughs> you know, we're going to go through the 12 days of Christmas. Now, imagine if you sent 12 tea lights to everybody and say, no, we're going to start on every day of Christmas. We're going to light a tea light. We're going to say the prayer for the tea, for, for, for Christ's light coming into our lives and into our homes. We're going to worship together on Sunday mornings, and we're going to extinguish those lights because we like to light lights. We hate to put them out. Yeah. Yeah. I find that I'm, we, we just watched, there's a great, for those of you who are looking for more um, things to consume, the uh, PBS has this wonderful documentary um, in their streaming stuff about Fiddler on the Roof. Mm. Uh, and one of the things that made me just sort of amazed was um, they've been able to show that after Fiddler on the Roof happened, more Jewish families got committed to doing the Shabbat prayers and the candle lighting at home because it's such a big mo moment in Fiddler and it's such a, and that became such a cultural phenomenon. And I wonder, you know, it, this is, it's not Fiddler on the Roof, but I wonder, are there some things that we could set up um, as church that become, you know, a new practice that, that we carry forward that sort of marks and, yeah. you know, lighting a candle at 1030 in the morning on Sunday morning, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen more engagement online about like, how do I do this Advent thing um, this year than I've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, and more Episcopalians out there helping Episcopal explain, uh, like how do you, how do you do Advent? But um, it's been really interesting. Poor David Lucas had to deal with me telling him, like, light the one across from the pink candle first, um, <laughs> which some altar guild member had to tell me after I was ordained. Just for the to get to the third one, you got to start over here. <laughs> yeah, 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 but um, but I wonder about that, and and I don't know that you know this year. I feel like and I've said this out loud at Holy Communion. I feel like we've just, we're just beginning to come out of eight to nine months of crisis management, mm -hmm. you know, but I think we have a few months ahead of this yeah. and there's an opportunity. Um, there's an opportunity a to not overwork, but I think there's also an opportunity to think through what are some of the things we've learned yeah. um, and what are some of the things that we want to carry forward well, and we also have the tools to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is, it, it's leveraging what we do and seeing it in a new way. You know, we, we were just talking about lighting candles. When you go to church, candles get lit. We don't do a big deal about lighting the candles, but they get lit. Um, and you can connect at home, you could, well, <laughs> Holy Communion does, but. <laughs> no, no, no. I would just say, if you, you've not yet been to our eight o'clock service where one of our members who may be clergy family makes a very big deal if the candles get written the long, lit in the oh. long. 
<laughs> well, no, no, no comment on that. No, no editorial comment. But, um, but no, I mean, there are parts of what we do um, regularly that, that could be pulled into something to be done at home. Yeah. You know, like when, when I sent a liturgy out earlier and we do, I did a revised one for um, Advent um, to, to bless the gifts of bread and to bless the gift of wine, to bless the rest of the food. I mean, it makes it clear that it's not celebrating Eucharist, but that we are using these things as symbols to remind us that we are connected to each other. Yeah. Um, and I think the more symbols, I mean, godly play is, a, is built in. <laughs> Just take godly play and make it for an adult. Yeah. I mean, when I was in a parish, funny, we, we on a, a fifth Sunday every once in a while, instead of a sermon, we would do a godly play presentation for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and the adults got a whole lot more out of it than I think the, the kids did. So, I mean, it's this kind of part of our challenge is how do we take the stuff that we do and the stuff that we know and translate it to being at home? Yeah. Well, and I, I do think, and I, I want to make room if there's one more question out there or one more thought that folks want to share in the chat or they want to raise their hand on. Uh, we, we're wrapping up on our time, but not just at home, but one of the things that I think more than anything this time has done is it's given an opportunity for our churches to take things public that have not been public before. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've had an opportunity to hit that button that says publish to Facebook or yeah. publish to YouTube. Um, and it's been sort of a surprising journey for a number of us. Um, but it, it does beg the question, what about our faith life could be public um, more, more often? What about, our, what about our life of faith? What are the treasures that we have to offer um, yeah. in the midst of this? I noticed well, yesterday, I, Grace Cathedral has a whole set of prayers um, that it just wrapped out of the prayer book and other prayer resources, but they put them on their website. Mm -hmm. um, are there other things we could be public like that with? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, I think you're spot on. Um, the, the, the challenge is to just put a link up and say, go to the Book of Common Prayer and read it. We know no one's going to do that. Um, like grace is great because what they did is they took some stuff that are relevant to where we are that can speak to our current context, put them in a shareable form and put them up. I mean, I have, I have been surprised because I stumbled into doing a, more, a prayer every morning and a prayer every evening. That was not intended to be an everyday thing. It's a, it's a great spiritual practice for me now. Um, but it really was, oh, well, I'll just put a prayer up this morning. And, you know, I was surprised by the responses, the first couple of ones that I posted. Um, and now it has like its own little loyal following. Um, and what's even scarier is I have friends of mine who are not connected to church who would never walk in the door of a church, who will message me and say, oh my God, the prayer that you post posted this morning really spoke, where did it come from? I, I just needed to hear that today. <laughs> it's like, well, there's this book called the Book of Common Prayer <laughs> or you know, it's something I wrote or something like that. But it, it, it's interesting how if it's short enough and snippet enough that folks can begin to share it, um, yeah. how things will go. Well, I think too, and, and, and the danger of um, landing on this, but there's something there about, I, you know, I think about my grandma, um, but for her, uh, she was a very engaged, very private Episcopalian. You know, my grandmother probably would not have talked about her faith to friends that were not people of, that, from her church ever, like it was just not something she would have done. And I think that she was like a lot of Episcopalians. Yep. Um, it was something that she meant very, it meant very, very much to her and she would never talk about it in public because it wasn't polite <laughs> to do so. And suddenly we're in a place where one of the changes could be, um, you know, like that something that means so very much to us is part of our public facing life. Mm -hmm. And somehow that has an impact on people that otherwise don't have a lot of um, access to the life of faith. Yeah. There's an evangelism piece there. I think it's happening. Yeah. I think because we are out there and I, I again, for, for me, the challenge is to invite folks to do it intentionally. Yeah. Um, we, we, we've kind of stumbled into and onto it 
but the, the challenge I think is how do we, how are we intentional of putting stuff out there that people can um, connect to, that people can, can engage with? Yeah. And I do think that there is, there's been a, a reticence partly because of the, the image of so many of the church organizations that are so, that, that claim the word evangelism or claim the word proselytism. But, mm -hmm. um, but there are so many people who are hungry mm -hmm. and hungry specifically for uh, Jesus as, as Jesus is known in this church. Yep. particularly with the current leadership we have um, but but and 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 particularly because it means that they can love Jesus and they don't have to stop loving a whole bunch of people that they love exactly um, I think you have a hand up <laughs> yeah Shug. Uh, there um, you know this this talk about evangelism makes me think about an experience today that uh, I didn't have by myself, it was shared by many, but I participated in the uh, beginning of the, uh, Cami Dewey is doing a, a series about women in the Bible. And there were several women there that none of us really knew. They were from different parts of the country, actually. I'm not quite sure how they knew about the uh, session but one woman said something that really struck me. She said she was a disenchanted Catholic <laughs> and that she had never read the Bible and had never done Bible study. And she heard that we Episcopalians studied the Bible and talked about Jesus. <laughs> and that just, I mean, that's huge. That is huge. And that, and, and she further said that she felt it was okay for her to say that in front of people. You know, she could never say it in front of her fellow Catholics, she said, but she felt comfortable saying that with us. And I, I just thought that spoke volumes about, uh, we're doing something right. So you're getting some kind of message. Out. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, it helps that the presiding bishop is on MSNBC and yeah, NBC yeah, and yeah, CNN. Yeah. And she had to be, uh, she appeared to be like uh, in her mid to late 40s. So mm -hmm. for her to say she'd never read the Bible and she'd, she'd mm -hmm. never um, done any Bible study and that she heard that we did that, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was something. God is good all the time. Yeah, I guess we're accidental uh, evangelists at times. <laughs> My wonder is, are we at a place where um, the happy accidents of evangelism that we're encountering um, help us to start think, start thinking a little bit more intentionally? That is my hope. Yeah. That is my fervent hope and prayer that we, 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 we don't stumble into evangelism, but that we are intentional about it. Um, and I, I, I really think we have to reclaim the word. I think there, there are two words we have to reclaim. Um, one is evangelism and the other one is Christian. Mm. Um, I tend not to use the word Christian very often. I, say, I usually go followers of Jesus because Christians have a very, Christianity and Christian comes with a whole bunch of baggage. Um, but at some point we have to actually reclaim that word. Um, evangelism just means good news. And I, I, I often found it really weird that as Episcopalians, you know, we will go tell people about the great bottle of wine or the restaurant that we found, <laughs> but we won't tell them about the wonderful pieces that our choir was singing in the sermon that we heard that was just fabulous. Hmm. It's like, we have good news. Make it, A, number one, make the good news sound like it is good news. <laughs> if you're standing and going like, yeah, I, I like my church. It's, it's, it's really interesting on Sunday morning. Like, who, who wants to be a part of that? <laughs> you know. Randall Schilling does. Randall, what's... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And, and on a sadder note, I'm going to note some news out of the Centers for Disease Control just today that we may be facing just in... December, January, 
another 100,000 or 150,000 deaths in this country. Yeah. And the impact of hospitals and their staffs being overwhelmed and the, the number of deaths. I, how will we as a church respond as the impact mm. becomes so much more great? I, I think we spent some time in that place of lament. Um, I, I can tell you one of the most moving parts of convention for me was when we did the, the remembrance of those who had died of COVID. Um, and I had not expected people to put that many names in the chat. Um, Cause all I did was read the names that came up in the chat. Um, and it, it was amazing the number of names that suddenly started popping up. I mean, there's no one, there's no one that any of us know who has not who has not had someone who has died from COVID. Um, we all know at least one, and, and I suspect more, but we all at least know one person who has been, who was who either close to us or that we're acquainted with who died of COVID. And so it affects, it, it's affecting every part of our, um, of our life. And, you know, we, we can't not name the grief. So I think a big part of what the church is, I mean, here's the interesting thing why I always say the Episcopal Church is, is kind of prepared for this moment. We know how to do funerals well. And I'm not saying that we're gonna go out and do like 100,000 funerals for people, but we, we know why doing a ritual for funeral makes sense. Yeah. We know why those words, you know, we all go down to the dust yet, even at the grave, we make our song, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. We know why those resonate with people um, because we can name the grief. I mean, we go through this, the liturgical life cycle of you know, death and resurrection every year. We know that death is, is a part of the life cycle and we know resurrection is on the other side. Um, and so I think we already have the language to help people through this difficult time. We have the words that help them to articulate what they can't articulate. Um, imagine if, I mean, uh, imagine, well, one of the things that I've seen from the National Cathedral that gets so many people to respond and so many comments is once a month they do a COVID memorial um, and they invite people to submit names or send in names and they just go through and read all the names. And that's perhaps one of the most powerful services that they do because people who have no connection to the church tune in for that service because the words that are going to be spoken, the, the um, memorializing of those who have died means so much yeah. that you can ritualize it. Yeah, no, it makes me think of the, um, the AIDS quilt. You know, mm -hmm. I remember the, the first time I went into Grace Cathedral and I took a right-hand turn and they're in the AIDS chapel they have that rotating piece of the AIDS quilt. And no, it's the same yeah. line too, but there's just, that there's always a memorial. Um, I think it matters a great deal. Uh, and this reminds me, you and I need to talk about a big public memorial that's shaping up for um, the St. Louis region at some point, but we'll talk about that. At, um, you know where to find me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know where to find you. But um, but no, I think you're right, Randall. I think that we've, we've got work to do as church as well to help people process grief um, and process loss. And that's a part of, and, and it's part of the good news that there are um, ways and time-honored practices for how to do that. So. Yeah. All right, friends, we are over on the Bishop's time and the Bishop is very gracious about overtime, but I also know that he has family life to get back to. Um, and so next month uh, we will probably be doing theology and tap i've got to look we often miss part of january so we may not do it the first wednesday of january we may push back a little bit in january i gotta look at where things are falling um but we'll be back on zoom um we'll be on zoom until uh we're able to be back uh at hopefully the schlafly uh, uh bottle works again someday um but do i do look forward to these conversations i'm really grateful to uh so many people coming together as we all learn how to do um, these pieces. And it, it, Janice, it's wonderful to have you on here too. She was my compadre in um, helping diocesan convention to happen. If you all haven't had a chance, I know a number of folks on this call were official delegates and things like that, but um, I did link in the email for Theology on Tap tonight, uh, the Bishop's address at, um, at convention, because 
I think we're just at the beginning and I think it's, you're right, it's a good time to be the church and it's a good time to be just at the beginning of a process of visioning uh, what the Episcopal Church in this half of Missouri uh, is going to be looking toward um, right now. So I think there's a lot of really exciting um, stuff coming from the diocesan office. So Bishop, thank you. Um, thank you for taking the time. Um, thank you for the leadership that you've already and so obviously uh, given us as a church in part of Missouri. Uh, thanks very much. And thanks for well, everybody signing in. Well, and thank you for the hospitality. This was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you all. God bless. Bye, everyone. Yeah, Bishop, will you, will you send us out with your words? You've got such good words for dismissals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you go forth into the night, be well, stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, pray, and pray often. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thank Bye, you. everyone. <laughs>